right, thank you so much. We're in Mark chapter 16 tonight, if you would. Mark chapter 16. Good to see each and every one of you this evening. We are in December. Can you believe it? In December 2020. Can't believe that. 2021 is going to be a breeze, just so you know. It's going to be a wonderful year. Everything's positive. It's going to go up. Every, all this craziness will be fixed, and we'll just have a wonderful time. Amen? And uh, I'm not on medication. I'm just hopeful thinking, all right? Just so you know. May I, uh, Mark chapter 16. I want to s- uh, one more prayer request make mention. You know, I don't know if you're aware, but our church, we are looking for a youth pastor, and I've talked to two people this week and talked, to, interviewed another young man today, so just uh, be praying that the Lord will continue to lead us to the right person and the right person to us. Uh, that would be, uh, I think, something that our church is in, <coughs> in desperate need of, and we want to certainly get the right one for that. I want to spend a few weeks uh, talking about grace. Grace ought to be a part of our everyday life. Both, not only the grace that we receive from the Lord, but the grace we give to other people. Now, I saw this uh, definition of grace. Of course, the, the, the definition we use for God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The acrostic grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. But as far as giving grace to other people, I love this definition. Grace is the face that we wear when we meet imperfection. And that's how God looks at us, amen? We're not perfect, none of us are. We've got, uh, we've got scars, we have sin in our life, we have things that uh, we've done and we have a past, and yet God looks at our imperfection with a face of grace. We ought to have grace for others as well. Grace has many facets, and uh, it plays a role in our salvation, it plays a role in our healing in the hope that we have and the purpose that we have in life. And so tonight I want to talk specifically about a renewing grace. We see grace illustrated clearly in the resurrection. So I want to read tonight about the resurrection. Did you know you can read a resurrection passage on days other than Easter? Isn't that something? I'm going to do that tonight. Uh, Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there ye see him as he said unto you. Father, tonight I pray you'd help us as we look at this this idea of renewing grace in our life. Help us as we need it, in Jesus' name, amen. Grace transformed in this passage Mary's pain into hope, It transformed the disciples' pessimism into faith, and it gave their lives new meaning and purpose. Those are the three things we're going to look at tonight, what grace does in our life. Many Christians do not understand the role that grace plays in their daily life. We think, you know, we're saved by grace, uh, we get salvation, we accept Christ's gift of salvation, all that's by grace, not of works, it's by grace, and that's kind of where grace ends. No, we need grace every day of our lives as we live the Christian life. 
We need grace for one another as we live the Christian life together. Now, Christians that do not realize their, uh, the, the role that grace plays in their daily walk are living below their privileges as children of God. And I want to just focus on that tonight and in the weeks to come at what a difference if we get a clear understanding of what God's grace is, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's undeserving. None of us deserve his grace, but we all have it, and we can be grateful for it. Its impact, the resurrection I'm talking about here, the impact of the resurrection, uh, even though it is a true historical event, amen, we are, it's not a, an allegory, it's not a symbolism, it is a true historical event, and it, it had a tremendous impact on the first century Christian, but it also has an impact on us today, and we can get the grace to live a Christian, victorious Christian life, we can get this through the power of Christ's resurrection. Now, have you ever thought about how the disciples and how the women that were there felt on that Easter morning? Uh, that the depression that would be on them, the sadness that was on them, uh, everything that they believed in, every hope that they had clung to, it's gone. It's all gone. The future that they expected to have with Jesus, their dream of deliverance from Roman oppression, that's what they thought the Messiah was all about. The promise of a comforter, all that was unmet expectation on the morning before Jesus rose. The disciples hadn't realized at first, but the, the, the cross and the tomb was all part of God's plan. We know that. Uh, his means of be, bringing grace to a lost and dying man, sinful mankind. God's righteousness demands a penalty for sin. And it's a penalty that you and I cannot pay. And so Christ paid it on our behalf. And uh, the death, burial, and resurrection allows us to enjoy the full benefits of God's grace. Paul put it this way, Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Um, we, we get that all through the gospel, through the, the cross, the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Sometimes in our Christian life we're tempted to take God's grace for granted. Uh, we need to examine through Scripture the renewal that grace can have in our Christian life and just what it can mean for each and every one of us. We need to be reminded that God in our life changes everything, and he can continue to do so. You know the song, the song Amazing Grace. It was written by John Newton. He was an English slave trade, uh, trade ship. He, did, he ran slave ships. A wicked, wicked man. Uh, he was an ungodly man until he was changed by God's amazing grace. He became a preacher. He worked for decades to end the slave trade, had a big hand in ending that in England. Uh, this transformation in his life, it can only be explained by God's grace. And guess what song he wrote? Amazing Grace. In the New Year's Day, 1773, he sang that song for the first time. He referred to that day... Uh, of his conversion, March 21st, 1748, as the great turning day, and so it was. Grace revealed itself to everyone who was a part of this, this uh, resurrection Sunday on that Easter morning, but it wasn't just for them. Grace is for every believer today. Through the story of the resurrection, 
we see how God's grace renewed the disciples. We'll see how the same grace that he has for us still renews and transforms life today. Three different ways. First of all, renewed from pain. Mark 16, now, 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first in a Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Now imagine that life Mary Magdalene had before she met Christ. Seven devils in her, demon-possessed by multiple uh, demons. Her life would be dark, it would be demonic, it would be oppressive. Luke 8, 2 describes her this way, a certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of, went, out of whom went seven devils. Now, one demon would be bad enough, amen, but seven, and what she had to deal with. Her life was one of misery, pain, tremendous oppression, but then everything changed when she met Christ and experienced his grace. Her case was hopeless until Jesus set her free, and of course, she became a devoted follower of Jesus. It, 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 Jesus gave this story one time in front of Simon the Pharisee, uh, and then a, basically a prostitute came in, and, and uh, Jesus forgave her of her sins, and what went on, and, and Simon, of course, was appalled. And Jesus asked him a question, who's going to have more love for the Savior, the one who's been forgiven a little, or the one who's been forgiven a lot? Remember that episode? Well, <clears throat> he answered, the one who's been forgiven of much. And, well, that was Mary. She'd been delivered from a terrible past. Many people, even here tonight, might have been delivered from a terrible past. As I mentioned Sunday, uh, I got saved young, so my past was what my possible future might have been. You know what I'm saying? I could have been, went down the wrong path and, and ended up a mess, and God spared me from all that. It's just as important that God's salvation spares us from that it is God saves us from sometimes, and so we can be grateful for that. But for those who do not have a personal relationship with his grace, life can be empty and unsatisfying. I was reminded again of a story, uh, not a story, a happening, March 21st, 2005. You probably remember it. Dressed in a long black French coat, uh, trench coat, I'm sorry, 16-year-old Jeffrey Weiss uh, walked into Red Lake High School, Red Lake, Minnesota, not that far from here carrying two guns he had stolen from his grandfather after he had killed him at the family home. He killed a security guard. He killed a teacher. He killed five students. He wounded seven others before he finally turned the gun on himself. Uh, he was obsessed with murder and uh, heavy metal rock music and obsessed with uh, uh, you know, bad movies and all those different things. You can imagine the list was long. And the devil does that still today. He tries to do all that he can to infiltrate our minds with sin, with darkness, with depression, with anger, with hate, all those things, pain and misery. It is the grace of God that delivers us from it. And thank God that he does. And it's not something that happens just once at salvation. It's something that continues. Because what one of us doesn't deal with hatred, with bitterness, with anger, with things that just uh, frustrations of life that get us. And if we don't allow God's grace to constantly renew our minds, like it talks about in Romans 12, and just totally doing a work in our minds all the time, it's an amazing thing how his grace can change us and save us uh, from that darkness. 
Our lives need to be renewed constantly with God's grace. Uh, one of the ways we're renewed is through salvation. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Mary Magdalene was one of them, had gotten saved, not because she deserved it, but, but, but because of God's grace. One day she was saved from all her pain and suffering, all her past, and it was replaced with peace, and that can only come through grace. You can't buy it. You can't buy it. Boy, there's a world out there trying to buy it. They, they spend money on anything from psychiatry to medication to vacations to change of life, uh, replacing life partners, doing everything they can to try to find a little bit of peace. You can't find it without Christ. It's His grace that does it. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Grace removes our past. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't it a great thing that God takes our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west? If you take a globe and you go north, you keep going north, soon you're going south. You ever seen that on a globe? But if you go east and you go east and you go east, you're always going east. That's why he says as far as the east is from the west, not as far as the north is from the south, but the east is from the west. He has removed that from us. He, somebody said, the Bible says he put it as, as, uh, he buries it in the deepest sea. And somebody else said he put up a sign that said, no fishing. Amen? Uh, it's over. It's done. It's removed from us. Now, many believers struggle with guilt. Still, over things that happened before they were saved, after they were saved, things that God has forgiven. They struggle with it. Grace removes that. I, we, we go over this in our discipleship class, but it would bear repeating. Uh, the, the idea of guilt because of our sin. By the way, is guilt a good thing? Yeah, Oprah says it's not. So we'll put philosopher Oprah here on one side. She says it's not. Uh, is guilt a good thing? Uh, yes and no. Guilt can be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, if my, my 10-year-old, if he hasn't, as far as I know, but if he dips into my wallet and steals 20 bucks, uh, then I want him to feel guilty. Don't, don't I? I want him to feel so guilty he can't sleep, he can't eat till he confesses. That's guilt's a good thing. But then what about the guilt that bothers us for, day, for years and years and years about something that happened far? When does guilt become bad? Well, here, if I can just set up a timeline, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's where the dividing line of guilt, good guilt and bad guilt. If you have... Guilt up to the point of confession. That's always God, never Satan. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder if this guilt I'm feeling is from God or from Satan? If it's before confession, it's always God, never Satan. Satan doesn't want you to confess it. He tells you things like, you deserved it. They deserved it. Uh, you, you, it's understandable. He'll try to reason away your sin. It, you you uh, have nothing to be ashamed of while God is convicting you, and so you have that guilt. Now you come to the point of confession. You confess it. You ask God to forgive you. He forgives you. He not only forgives you, he cleanses you. He takes it away. And, and if it requires getting it right with somebody else, uh, you get it right with them. It is now confessed. It is handled. Here's a problem. You still feel guilty. All right, that's always Satan, never God. Because after confession, God's forgotten it. He's cho chosen not to remember it anymore. I will remove your sin, I will remember it no more. 
So if there's guilt after confession, that's always Satan. So you say, is guilt good or bad? Before confession, good. After confession, bad. Now what grace does is grace comes in and helps to remove that guilt from our life. Helps it to move forward. You cannot be a prisoner to your past. Your past cannot define you today and going forward. But Satan loves to do that to us. He loves to take our mistakes in the past and put them on us and saddle them on us today and make it affect our future. And God's grace says, no, that's not necessary. It removes it. That's a blessing. And uh, it helps us to, remi- remind, uh, to remember that. If uh, guilt, if it's from the Lord, we need to get it right. If it's from the devil, we need to send him packing. If the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. And it'll be a help. Now, through the resurrection of Christ... Also, not only through salvation, but through the resurrection. Mary was astonished. She was fearful after the resurrection. She saw Jesus, who had transformed her, die that horrible death on the cross. This was not something she was prepared to see. And her grief was compounded when she now comes to the, the tomb and he's gone again. Until she was told it's that he is risen. The resurrection gives us the grace to overcome the pain and suffering in our life. Imagine the uh, immense peace that flooded her when she recognized that Jesus had risen from the dead. We, we just saw it in two funerals uh, the, the, here in our own church. How, how could a son, a daughter, a grandson get up and give testimony? And, and I'm not saying in, any, in a disrespectful way, but laugh. I mean, we, we enjoyed the memories. We, we, had, uh, we laughed together. And How could they do that and have that hope? Grace. Grace does that gives us that healing from pain and suffering. And uh, the Bible never promises that we'll be without it. He just promises that he'll give us the grace to go through it. And so we need to hold on to that. So renewed from pain, also renewed from pessimism. Pessimism. I hate pessimism. I don't like being around pessimistic people. I heard the story. One man found, spotted some money crumbled on the ground. He picked it up. He unfolds it and finds a $1 bill, and he says, just my luck. If somebody else would have found it, it would have been $10. And that's the pessimist, always looking at the dark side of things, always looking at the glass half empty. They don't give thanks for what they have. They give thanks, or they gripe because it's not more. Uh, And we're either tonight, we're thankful or we're a pessimist. And pessimism, you can't be thankful and be pessimistic at the same time. Mark Twain said, the man who is a pessimist before 40, knows too much. And if he's an optimist after 40, he knows too little. What a terrible way to live. I mean, I know people might act that way or think that way, but it's a terrible way to look at life. Mark 16, 11, look at what the disciples, and they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. What a bunch of pessimists. Here comes Mary telling him he's alive, I've seen him, and they don't believe her. The trials of our life can cause us to become skeptical, disappointed, doubtful. You see them all the time, Christians who have been disenfranchised, or they're sour, they're bitter, they're critical, and they just, let's just name it, they're pessimistic. We see it in the Christian world just as much as we see it anywhere else. Winston Churchill said a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. How do you look at life? How do you look at the Christian life? Here is these disciples. No, we don't believe you. 
pessimism. They need to be renewed from it. When Mary told them that Jesus is alive, they didn't believe her. How sad. You'd think that they'd at least give her an audience. Pessimism abounds. It abounds in our world today. When's the last time you felt a little down and you thought, you know, I need a pick-me-up. I'm going to go on Facebook. That's not the place to go for a pick-me-up, is it? I mean, the world's just abounding in pessimism. Everywhere you go, the news is bad. I mean, you, wanna, you really want to just get depressed? Watch the news. I haven't watched the news in almost a month. I'm just done. I'm cut it, cut it out of my life, and I can put a smile on my face. Read this news. All right, it's a little better. The end of the book turns out all right. Uh, there's just a lot of pessimism in the world today, a lot of anger, and uh, we need to not get caught up in it. We have so much. We, we, this generation, the young people and us, we have so much more than any previous generation ever had. I don't have my phone on me, but I read this the other day. Our, your, your phone, if you have a smartphone, <laughs> you, uh, you have more computing power in your hand than Apollo 11 that took men to the moon in the 1960s. We got so much. No reason to be ungrateful pessimistic. Grace, we need that grace to take us out of that. Pessimism can come because of disappointment. That The apostles were obviously very disappointed after the crucifixion. And, and we, we, we can let things today make us pessimistic because of disappointments. And I know, look, we're all kind of there in, in the, we let things like elections, Super Bowls, uh, different things depress us. And, and make us pessimistic as a Christian, those things should not uh, take us to that point. But here are the dreams, the plans of ruling and reigning with Christ. All these were dashed. They expected Jesus to destroy Israel's enemy uh, and, and set up his own kingdom. They expected to be a part of it. All that was gone. Everything looked bleak. And so when hope is offered to them, they reject it. I don't know how often I see that in ministry. You offer hope to people who desperately need it, and it's rejected. Why? Pessimism, doubt, anger, bitterness, allowing those things in our life. What do they need? Grace. They need God's grace. Have you ever been disappointed? Of course you've been disappointed. We've all been disappointed. And those disappointments can keep you from going forward for the Lord. Accept the grace of God in your life and rise above that pessimism. Dwight Eisenhower said pessimism has never won a battle. And it'll never win a spiritual battle either. That last part was my part, but you know, he said that. And uh, let's not be caught up there. Not only disappointment, but unbelief. So here's the thing. The disciples had been taught about the resurrection. Over and over and over, Jesus had told them that this would happen. Let me give you a few of them. John 14, 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was, in the, uh, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, me, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right. Then he says in John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise up. And those weren't the only ones. He told them over and over what was going to happen. Unbelief. You don't bring pessimism into your life? Unbelief. Depression, doubt, bitterness, 
anger. Those things come from unbelief because they did not believe the teaching of Jesus. They doubted when things didn't work out according to their plan. Unbelief and lack of faith makes us vulnerable to a pessimistic spirit. Pessimism leads to weakness. Optimism leads to power. Uh, so what's the answer? To strengthen your faith, you go to the Bible. All right? The Word of God will make you a stronger person, and the Word of God will make you a more optimistic person because it will strengthen your faith. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so that's the answer to you have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain by trusting Christ, not only for salvation, but as we live the daily Christian life. We need to keep trusting in him. We live in a very negative world. Anybody want to argue with that? I think that that's something we'd all agree on. We live in a negative world. And it's easy to find ourselves really just join an association of discouragement. You know, we hang around the wrong people and it just... They can take us down. That's why I like the church. The church is an enlightening place, isn't it? This ought to be a lifting place. You ought to drag in and bounce out, not the other way around. You ever went someplace where you bounced in and you dragged out because it was so depressing? That's not what this ought to be, and, that, and I hope that we can keep it that way. Uh, Jesus has already fought and won our battles. There's no reason for us to be downcast. The empty tomb is proof of that. Victory is ours. Let his grace fill you day by day. We're saved by grace through faith. We also overcome uh, depression and pessimism by faith as the power of grace is made real in our lives as we get it through the word of God. 2 Kings six fourteen through 17. We just talked about this story recently, but uh, the, the Assyrians were surrounding Elisha's city and his servant was all stressed out because he saw all these People, but Elisha was confident because he could see God's army as well as the, bad, uh, the uh, Assyrians. His faith let him see what God was doing behind the scenes. Think of an area in your life where you struggle with pessimism. And I, I would bet you that it is connected to unbelief. I, uh, when, when my wife and I were looking at the house that we're in now, I had a, I had a Bad attitude. It's confession time. I had a bad attitude. Because we had, were in a bad situation, upside down house back home. And we, just had a, we just had a bad situation. I just didn't have any hope. And my, my statement, I walked in the door, I said, why are we looking at this place if it's not going to happen anyway? Well, it did happen. And God did make it happen. But what was at the root of that bad attitude was unbelief. God can't do it. So why am I even, you know, why am I going to have a good attitude about it if God can't do it? And that's really, we could probably all pull different examples out of our life, but if we're going to have a bad attitude, an ungrateful attitude, a pessimistic attitude about anything in our life, it's probably going to be connected to unbelief. Why don't we just trust him? Amen? We need to just trust him in all of our areas of our life. When the disciples realized that Jesus was alive again, Fear and uncertainty were replaced with gladness. Christians living with the awareness of God's grace will not be downcast or discouraged. Psalm 42.5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The resurrection 
gives us the grace to overcome disappointment and unbelief. So, renewed from pain, renewed from pessimism, renewed for a purpose is where I want to close tonight. Uh, Matthew 28, if you'll turn there, Matthew 28, or listen as I read, a couple of verses here, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If ever a group of people are wandering around aimlessly with a lack of purpose, it was the disciples in this period of their life, and Jesus gave them a purpose. He renewed them out of their pessimistic spirit. He renewed them out of the pain they were going through. And uh, now they needed to know what to do next. And so before returning to heaven, Jesus gave them a purpose and a direction. This would guide them for the rest of their lives, and it would also guide us as we live the Christian life as well. It's called the Great Commission, and it's still enacted today. And uh, maybe you are a little uncertain about your future. You might not see a way out, or there's trouble or confusion. Maybe you don't know how God's going to use your life for his service and for his glory. But God does have a plan, and he does have a purpose for you. That's a blessing, isn't it? I mean that God has something for you, each and every single one of you. Oh, I don't have any talents or I don't have any resources. God has something for you that he wants you to be doing. And that's a, that's a blessing to me. There's a test. I just did this. We had a revival service a couple weeks ago, and I, 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 I don't know when the last time I did this here, but have you done the test lately? I would see if God still has a plan for you. There is a test you can do. You can do it right here together. You ready? Let's do it. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you can do that, God ain't done with you. Okay? A couple of guys this week, I don't mean to be irreverent, but a couple of guys this week, they went home to glory. God's done with them. God's not done with you. He's not done with me. And so here we are. Don't ever think. Don't ever think. I'm done now. Nothing else I can do. He'd take you home if he was done with you. He has a purpose for you. That's a blessing. Because we live in a world where people don't have any purpose. They're cosmic accidents. They come from a blob in a swamp, turned into a monkey, and now... There's us. That's all we are, just animals. We're an accident. That's not, there's no way to live life. There's no purpose in that. We have a purpose. That makes it so much greater that God gives us a purpose. He wants us to share the gift of his eternal life. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's one of our purposes right there. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And so that's why he sent his son to die for our sins on the cross. And uh, he saves us, not just, not just for us, but for others. He gives us then the ministry of reconciliation, which is to bring others to Christ too. <clears throat> God's purpose for our lives is to share the grace that he gives us. Remember what I gave you at the, the, at the beginning, the definition Grace is the face that you wear when you meet imperfection. That's, that's the attitude that you have. That's the attitude God had when he met you. That's what, when he saved you. Imperfection. And he had that love anyway. We need to share that 
with others as well. Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That's our purpose that we ought to be about. Whether it's handing out a gospel tract, writing a letter, writing a card, uh, whatever is, however you, you know, talking to somebody, giving them the gospel, just paying bills. You still pay bills by check? I, uh, people don't use checks that more, but if, uh, not that much anymore. But if you write a check to pay a bill, put a gospel tract in there. Uh, Northwestern Energy gets at least one gospel tract every single month because I send them a check and they get a gospel tract. At least one every month. They ought to be, you know, it's free. You don't have to put a stamp on it. It's a free gospel tract because they're going to get your check. Let them get a tract too. Every which way you, you look, look for opportunities to share uh, the Great Commission. A lot of churches, the Great Commission has turned into the Great Omission. Not here. We don't want that to be the, the fact here. We want to continue to give the good news. Failing the responsibility to share the good news is failing in our purpose that God has for us. So point being tonight, folks, grace changes everything. Grace changed Mary's pain into hope. Grace changed the disciples' pessimism into faith. Grace gave them a purpose. Grace gives us a purpose. Without grace, we have no hope. With grace, all things are possible. And that's why we need to recognize the importance of God's grace daily. And then also we need to have grace with one another. Amen? Have patience with people the way God has patience with you. Forgive people the way that God has forgiven you. It's something that all of us should take part in. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder.